0: Down to business with Bobby Kerr. Brought to you by Bank of Ireland on News Talk.
1: With the modern workplace, uh, a lot of talk in recent years has been uh, centred around the empty office space, cyber security, and hybrid working models. But what about some of the industries that have largely been untouched by any of that? Industries centred around working with your hands, using techniques, passed down through generations. How exactly are these faring at the moment? And that's what I want to find out today. So I have three guests to introduce to you. The first is Kieran O'Grady. He's of the Wicklow Tatching Services and he's a tatcher. Also joining me is Isaac Jackman, the owner of Isaac Jackman Shoe Repairs, based in Charlemagne Street and in Donnybrook. And also joining us is a man of iron and a man of steel, Colin Bagnall, the co-owner of Bushy Park Ironworks, also joins us. So you're all very welcome to the programme and this is a slightly different uh, industry re- review than we'd normally do and I'm very excited about it. Kieran, we we'll come to you first down there in Wicklow Taching Services. Can you tell us about uh, the world of a tatcher, what you actually do and how you actually work, if you would?
0: Well, that's a very all-encompassing, Bobby. Um, well, I think over the years, I kind of more specialized in commercial buildings rather than, you know, your traditional Irish cottage. There was a kind of a surgence of, of pubs in the 90s, you know, with the Sir Lorgan Orchard in Dublin being the first, and then um, the Glenside in Churchtown, the Lord Mayor's in, uh, in Swords. So a lot of my work was, taken up with kind of commercial work as well, as well as uh, okay.
1: traditional show. And it's interesting I think you went off to study a Bcom you decided it wasn't for you. You went on a false course. Uh, you learned about touching I think up in Donegal. There's there's different types of of touching and I think what you do primarily Kieran is water re-touching. Can you explain that for our listeners if you would?
0: Yeah, well, um, reed is, is, the lo- um, is probably the best in the sense of it, it lasts the longest. So in today's world, um, most new houses would be thatched in reed. Um, and it's a, it's a plant that grows wild on the sides of our rivers and lakes. Uh, it starts growing in April or May um, and it's fully grown by September. It's about six foot tall. And at that stage, um, the growth starts to go back down into the root and the leaves fall off with the first frosts. So it's ready to harvest then, basically after Christmas. So you harvest it January, February, March. Um, It's like a a small bamboo, to all intents and purposes.
1: And is that something that's in short supply or is that something that's relatively easily got in terms of raw materials for you to carry out your trade?
0: Uh, well, when I started off, <clears throat> there were, yeah, the supply was a little bit inconsistent. So I started uh, harvesting reed myself. Um, but nowadays, um, unfortunately, an awful lot of the reed that's used here is imported. There are still some, um, you know, reed harvested here, obviously, in uh, Limerick mostly, Um and a little bit down in in Cork uh, and maybe some some in Waterford, uh, okay. and the the rest of it will be imported from anywhere in the world, really from as far away as China France Austria, Poland, Turkey. Okay. yeah
1: all right, stay with us, Karen I want to introduce our next two guests. Uh, also joining us is Colin Bagnell, uh, co-owner of Bushy Park Armworks, and he's even brought in a whole load of tools with him today. Colin, you're very welcome to the program. Good morning. Now, tell us a little bit about your world um, and how you got into this business uh, of ironworks. Um,
2: I did an apprenticeship in metalwork fabrication and welding back in the 80s, early 80s. And uh, at the end of that, and out of my time, I I went and travelled the world a little bit, backpacked. And when I came back then, I had a choice of sort of sticking with heavy industry as I was working in, or going off into architectural metal work with this with edward my business partner yeah and uh we tried out six months see how we got on and uh, so here we are 35 years later
1: so. and when we talk about the opportunity in your world column uh we look at you know so much metal around the city gates railings all there for many years but clearly need to be maintained maybe need to be replaced like, was there is there a good opportunity in terms of the marketplace? There is for that, restoration. Given that, given that there's so many so few people maybe doing the type of work you're doing.
2: Uh, in the restoration, there is huge. Dublin is full of ironwork and a lot of the large towns around Ireland have a lot of ironwork. We didn't lose it during the war yeah. back in the 40s. So we still have it today. And some of it that was well maintained with paint over the years has lasted really, really well. Um, but there's a lot that has to be because the stone starts to fail underneath it that supports it and then the ironwork has to be taken off to allow the repairs to the stone and then you repair the ironwork and put it back on the stone. So, yes, that's a large part of our business plus new work as well which um, is used to be the higher percentage of our work but restoration would be taking over now at nearly 70% of our work. Okay, yeah. Yeah.
1: Okay, we, we, we'll talk about, I suppose, uh, I want to talk collectively to the three of you about you know, how technology has or hasn't impacted you. Uh, Our third guest is Isaac Jackman. He's of Isaac Jackman shoe repairs, uh, a cobbler, no less, and a man uh, who worked... Uh, in 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 the business that was set up by your father, Isaac.
3: Yeah, yeah. Tell thanks, us more. Thanks, Bobby. Thanks for having us, having us on. Um, yeah, my father set up the business um, over 60 years ago. Um, a thriving business back in the day, you know, over 22 shops at the time. Um, so it was, a, it was a big business. Um, I came into the business over 30 years ago um, kind of out of not too sure what I wanted to do but I fell in love with it and the passion of it and I worked alongside as a, my father like as an apprenticeship and yeah. um, so it was learning the skills and the crafts and it, it, it was and, and
1: it must have been very challenging I suppose at one level for you to come into established business with 24 shops that was doing well maybe you know with a, with a changing marketplace so you you clearly had challenges around the way shoes were being made which impacted on the future of your business?
3: A massive challenge because coming into a business that was actually in, in, in a bit of a, a, a disturbing time because the business was starting to go down. Um, but I felt that there was, I, I had a business head. I wanted to learn about the business and how my father succeeded. And I, I fell in love with the craft and the skill. And I saw opportunity then to develop it.
1: Yeah, so you really repositioned the business from what one would maybe typically know as a, as a, as a cobbler's type shop and I know you do a lot of work now uh, with the likes of BT's, with the likes of the high-end fashion, you, you restore trainers and yeah. there's a whole other world out there that
3: it's wouldn't have been
1: there 20 years
3: ago. Yeah, it's a massive industry now because people don't realise it. It's gone from just the formal shoe that we always would have known to get repaired into so diverse, where, you know, it's whether it's hill-walking boots, whether it's your Gucci trainers or whether it's your loafers, so it's it's very diverse. Most people or everybody wear shoes and they most of them can be repaired. So I, I saw the opportunity to develop it rather than being the old traditional business.
1: And and I suppose it it should be no surprise, even though it may be, but if if a pair of shoes costs six or seven hundred Euros, you're more likely to maybe want to get them repaired. Because of how much you've invested in them.
3: Yeah, but there's education there as well because people feel like maybe they buy a 600 or 7 euro, 100 pair of shoes and they feel they can't be repaired. They have this maybe uh, idea that because they're maybe slightly different and they're not a traditional shoe, but in fact they can. And that's a big part of how I can grow the business, how I have grown the business.
1: Uh, Kieran, back to you and the touching down there in, in Wicklow Tatching Services. In, in terms of doing a typical job, and I don't know a job is typical, but, you know, assuming you had your supply of raw material of reeds, uh, you go on site, you've got all your bundles there, typically how long would it take you to retach like, a, a small cottage?
0: Uh, roughly around a month, Bobby.
1: Is that all? Right. Yeah. And that would cost, again, not to pigeonhole you into any cost, but it, it, would it be 50 grand, 100 grand? No, for a traditional small
0: cottage, um, it'd be kind of fifteen to twenty thousand.
1: Wow, wow! Yeah, and let me ask you as well, Kieran, about the change because I was just talking to the lads here in studio about it. The change in your business. How many active thatchers would there be in the country? Um, I'd say there, there's probably around
0: twenty full time people. Right, and then that's supplemented with the you know the likes of farmers who might do one. One house in a summer, that kind of thing. Um, But yeah, there's probably 20 people making a living out of it, and Uh, that's all.
1: And would you have concerns around enough people coming into the trade to ensure its survival, or do you think that you know, having gone through probably a a big downturn, that there's that, that there's there's it's it's seen as a sort of a specialist niche industry now that would be attractive to people to work in. Um big sigh. Yeah, there. No, big sigh. Uh,
0: no, no. <laughs> Just, uh, uh, no, no. I think it is it is safe enough. You know, it will attract people. There is is a course going on in Donegal at the moment, I believe. And hopefully there'll be, you know, five or six thatchers will come out of that. Um, so it 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 is kind of cyclical, you know, as you've alluded to there. And probably back in the early early eighties when I started, um there definitely was you know a, a a severe lack of of them and over that period then it there you know different a lot of people did did go into the industry we even had people coming in from from Hungary and Poland doing roofs here um and then you know just with the kind of it is because it is an expensive roof um you know it has been affected by the recessions um, and so you know, kind of work would have dropped off in those periods. Um, what, one question
1: it, that I have for you, Karen, because I, I is around insurance. Uh, I was, I know somebody who has a attached roof that had some <laughs> difficulty in this regard. Like it, it, it seems crazy, but could something like insurance dictate whether your business has a future or not? Uh,
0: could yeah, no, I think I think it's definitely. Is that if at the at the moment it's definitely going to have a, a severe effect on it because you know as you said um, a lot of people are having problems getting their houses insured that they literally can't you know there were a few Lloyd syndicates um, insuring houses here in the, let's say nineties and the two thousands um, and they you know yourself th- these some of these syndicates just closed down and when they do that's it you have to go somewhere else to find your insurance. So people who kind of chopped and changed for the, the best value and went with these syndicates um, have been left kind of high and dry. Wow. wow. Then somebody, you know, wanting to sell a house, their market is limited. Um, you know, someone's not going to get a mortgage on a house that they can't insure. So, yeah, it, it is having a detrimental effect. There okay. was um, a group of, of householders got together to try and um, almost self-insure and um, I think they, I mean, oh, I only heard this kind of third hand, if you like, but I think they have hit, hit problems with that. Oh dear, um, I mean, okay. It's a good idea.
1: All right, yeah. um, back to you, Colin Bagnall, in terms of uh, your craft, uh, new people coming into us, uh, changes in technology. Again, you've, you're in a very traditional business, but you seem very optimistic about the future, which I think is a really good thing.
2: Yeah, it um, it's going to a bit of a resurgence at the moment and there's a great interest in it. Um, social media has actually helped it in in the growth in craft There's people who are hobbyists, who are on weekends have their own little workshop area and and also then some of those want to commit heavily more to and join into education, um, further their skills.
1: Does it feed into the kind of circular economy thing that we're all trying to maybe reuse things and Maybe not chuck stuff out like... I think there's a certain group about. of people who, who have a great need
2: to make something yeah. and do something with their hands. And uh, they tend to be... We can't chase people or try and force people to, to work for us. You know, you can't just force a peg into the hole. You have to wait till they come to you, yeah, basically. And if if the person really wants to do it, you give them the opportunity, and it works that that works very well. You have to sort of be very patient. If you're impatient, it's just not going to happen, okay? Yeah,
1: you're in for the long game. You are. Uh, last word to you, Isaac Jackman. Uh, you've reinvented the business in, in terms of you've modified the business, uh, to meet. Uh, what is the demand out there in in the marketplace do you feel you'll have to change the business model much more or are you on to something that you think is relatively sustainable for the next couple of decades
3: we're definitely going in the right direction but we the the supports we need really uh, is from uh, the government and into training and apprenticeship uh, because as an industry, we can't do it on our own. We have no representation in Ireland. It's very little across the world, but we have no representation. And it's, it, we need a push, help from government uh, departments. And I am in uh, discussion with the EPA and directly with the government trying to uh, encourage this. Uh,
1: what's the ideal, we haven't much time, but what's the ideal way that an impre- apprenticeship would work for both you as employer and to give people a start in learning a trade?
3: Well, first of all, uh, as you rightly said about saying, having the incentive and the, the passion to, to go into an industry like, like ours, where you're skilled in craft. Um, but we need something like their structured uh, apprenticeship, or even to come on board just to uh, allow people to, uh, to test out their talents. Are they able for it? Because it is a skill and a craft and uh, it's more than just a job.
1: So this would be where someone would come in, on a kind of a probationary type Correct. thing just yeah. to see yeah, because if it works for everybody. And, mm. you know, that's not such a bad idea.
3: No, because if they get a feel for it, because they, they'll understand what's involved. And then if it's for them, they can pursue it. But we need that avenue.
1: All right. Well, look, I really w- welcome and appreciate... All three of you talking to me here today. I think what you're doing is absolutely fantastic. And keep doing it for as long as you can. Kieran O'Grady of Wicklow Tatching Services, Isaac Jackman of Isaac Jackman Shoe Repairs, and Colin Bagnall of the Bushy Park Ironworks. Thank you for letting me into your world. And every success to you all in the future.
0: Thanks, Bobby. Thank you. Down to business with Bobby Kerr. Brought to you by Bank of Ireland.
2: Saturday morning at 11 on News Talk.